So I'm assuming that's you putting in your glass eye, is it? Yeah. yeah. That looks like me putting my contact lenses in. Simple. It's, I mean, that's, yeah, it's incredible. pretty the same. Yeah, it's because I've got I've actually got a really uncomplicated implant uh, purely because of the rest of the damage. Um, they didn't want to put something in there that was difficult to swap if it didn't if it didn't settle. Wow. So so I put the body um, simple. I mean that that to be honest, it does it, it's there purely to protect the implant, but yeah. because it's there to make it aesthetic. Uh, uh, so it, its job not is isn't to look like an eye, its job is to protect the implant. Yeah. But because it's there, then obviously then you know you, you do get that uh, co uh, cosmetic effect as well. Yeah, what's the, the design on that one? I think it's Blind Veterans. There's a camera. Uh, is it Blind Veterans? Go down a bit, mate. Go a bit lower. To your left. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's incredible. <laughs> so. I, I did see somewhere that you'd, you'd lost quite a lot of your glass eyes. Did you ever find them? No, no. Unfortunately, never turned up. But um, there was a guy doing some research into uh, producing them in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and he made me quite a few extras. And then the NHS uh, gave, me, gave me a couple of free ones too. Oh, brilliant. So kind of my collection's built back up now. But yeah, yeah. No, unfortunately, like I say, um, it was just uh, from those things that fell out of my bag and oh. it's been lost in the midst of time. Somebody will find them in about 50 years' time somewhere and there'll be a, a big appeal on the one show for them, won't there? You can guarantee it. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Ash Winter and Friends, the podcast dedicated to reducing the stigma of mental ill health and promoting good well-being. This podcast is brought to you in association with Over There Clothing the UK-based Armed Forces veteran-run company, making you look as ally as you can, whilst also supporting Armed Forces and Blue Light charities. Check them out on Instagram at Over There Clothing. My aim for this podcast is to share some pretty awesome stories by some pretty awesome individuals, whilst also helping to promote good physical and mental well-being, and of course to help keep you sane during yet another national lockdown. So, get yourself a brew, settle down, and listen in. So, mental well-being for me, well, I, I think mental well-being is a, a very um, holistic term. It, it, it covers a lot of bases, doesn't it? Um, it yeah. It's some people think it's how are you feeling today, but you know you can feel happy, sad in any moment. I think it's that that, that all-round end-of-day feeling. You know, it's it's. You're, you're how you how you feel you're involved with the world around you yeah you know, do you feel part do you feel part of everything or do you feel isolated or do you feel disconnected um you know and, and there's everything about it. you know at the end of the day when you're chilling out do you feel good about yourself do you feel bad about yourself or do you feel indifferent about the day you know what i mean and i think that's what it is it, it comes down to your state of mind come the end of the day, the end of the week, you know, how, how do you feel you've connected with the world? Yeah, yeah, and it's quite quite prominent, really, there. You mentioned isolation, especially the way things are at the moment. And, you know, how, how are you coping with with all this um, lockdown malarkey? Well, in the early days, it didn't bother me. Um, it was just like being on tour, really. Uh, <laughs> you know, everyone said, oh, you know, I want to hug my kids and I want to do this, I want to do that, but... You know, I've, I've been in places where, you know, I haven't been there to see my parents, so that, where I haven't had access to communications. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like, well, it, it, it's just like being an ops without without the shooting. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but like I say, I, I think as it's extended and gone on, it's kind of, again, it's not the sort of the being there to see, but it, it, it's just the, the disruption to, 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 to that sort of access to people. You know, yeah. I think we've all discovered through this lockdown that we are actually social creatures. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, every, you know, there's the, the big, the big jokes and all the memes about the pubs opening, everyone getting smashed and stuff. But you know, for me, it's not about that. I mean, for me, going to the pub is a social event. It's a social activity. It's where I meet my friends. It's where we talk about the world. It's where, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those discussions happen that that, that help well-being. 
you know, oh, where you get doubt. things off your chest. And, um, and and pubs are a safe place to meet and do that for me. Um, so that that's one thing. So that, that that's kind of... And the other thing is, I don't think I've been this static since I was 17 years old. Um, you know, I've always... Since I joined the Army at 18, I've always been on the move. I've never been anywhere more than a couple of weeks before I've been somewhere else. Uh, and like I say, I've, I've done one trip to London uh, back in September during when we were allowed to move and that was to check on the flat and, and other than that I've been in the same house the same bed uh, for the longest period in my life since since being a child I think Blimey. yeah it's it, it, it's such a, a strange feeling isn't it because you say it's like being on tour but actually when you're on tour you you're sort of prepared for it that that little bit more and you know you're going to be away so you're sort of you make up for lost time before you go away and you know in my experience and then you you go and do your six months and you know there's an end date of when you're going to be home yeah. and you can go and do whatever it is that you're going to do and book a holiday go and you know see whoever it is uh, and i think that's the the frustrating thing here for me is that there's no end date as such i know that you know there's like the end of the tunnel and we're we are heading towards it but you know there's no firm sort of index if you like no, we're not. We're not quite in chuff chart territory, are we? Um, <laughs> but uh, but that, that's the thing, isn't it? You, you like I say in the early days when we didn't think it was going to go on forever. That's what it felt like. Like I say, that prolonged has taken that away. Yeah. And as you said, and the other thing of when you're on ops is you're busy. You know <laughs> I think what I mean? That's true. You, yeah. You're, you're you're very very occupied. Um, there isn't there isn't this static boredom. Uh, like I say, and, and and obviously you were your mates. Uh, you know, because you, you, you're out there with your section or whatever, uh, whoever yeah. you're with. But, um, but like I said, the, 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 that's what I think has, has done a lot of people here is, is they just haven't. I think we, we've, we've our culture. You know, we, we've never, we've never gone without. We've never been told no, um, and you know, and that loss of civil liberties is something that we've been aware of in the military. You know, being told yeah. where to be, when to be, and what to do and I think I think as a nation it's been such a long time since we've been in this kind of situation yeah that that people have forgotten yeah um, and you know and, and I'm not having a go I mean we're a victim of success in a way oh, you know yeah. we created yeah. such a great society and such a freedom free society that we're not used to being told no basically are we <laughs> um and and, and, and I, like I say yeah I that's both a negative and a positive thing. I think it's something that we should be proud of as a nation that we yeah. created a society where people can do what they want. But at the same time, you know, on the other side, it's a wake-up call that, you know, rights come with responsibilities. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember my nan used to say to me, you, you don't know you're born, you lot. And when you think about it, really, you know, it, we we've all got electronic devices most people have got cars you know this the supermarkets can deliver if we want something you go on amazon it's there next day so you know she was probably right in what she was saying and at the time you think oh yeah whatever you know uh, and uh, yeah i think we've, we've got a lot to learn from from that generation of you know they they didn't have everything whereas if they were in this situation well they were weren't they second world war um yeah. you know it there's a lot of com comparisons with it with the two isn't there and, and i think although it is different it is very similar and uh and, and, yeah i do often think uh, and you know my nan's no longer with us now and it's i do think i wonder what what she would think of the the way this country is at the moment it'd be be interesting well, as i said we, we can we can whinge and, and be negative oh, like, like like that not another born in a negative way but but at the same time like I, said, I think we should take a a little bit of pride in the fact that you know we created all that freedom for so long that there yeah. has become second nature, and and I also think that um, we we played we played our part in that as veterans, as service personnel, mm. uh, as our blue light services, you know, NHS and and any sort of service organisation has, has been part of that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and like I say, it's, I, I think that's something that we can take out of and be proud about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So while we're talking about service, and do you want to share your background of of your your service history? 
Yeah, so I, I served 13 years in total, um, just short of 11 years active. Uh, I was, uh, I joined in 97. I did my first posting to Munster in Germany with the uh, King's Royal Hazards LAD. Uh, they arms plotted and I moved to the Royal Dragoon Guards LAD. From there, I went to the Scottish Dragoon Guards LAD. So these were all German postings. Back to Borden to do my class one. Um, and then from Borden, I went to uh, Catrick, where I served with the Kingos, who then became two Lanks LAD. And uh, and obviously that's when uh, it was my third operational tour. So I did three in total, one in Kosovo in 99, Upper Agricola. Um, and then I did uh, 2003, uh, Optelic, as it was, zero. Yeah. Um, and then Optelic, nine. And, and it was Antelic 9 where, where I sustained my injuries. I was a commander of a recovery job. We went out, we, we recovered a vehicle under fire, uh, uh, an infantry bulldog. Uh, and on the extraction, I was shot by a sniper. And the bullet went in here. Come out here, uh, as you can imagine, it ruined me Wednesday morning. Um, being a stubborn Yorkshireman, uh, the bullet did knock me out. So I was able to do my own first serve, 25 minutes. Um, and the fact that the driver robbed me a fiver uh, meant that I intended to stay alive and get it back. So um, yeah, I had um, I had some focus on the morning. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I, I, I like I said, I was fortunate enough as I said, to 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 remain conscious. And somewhere I knew. So what I'd actually done, uh, the bullet at seven six two high velocity, it had shattered both cheekbones, broke my jaw in four places, and my palate had collapsed. Um, so there was never any danger of bleeding out, I'm told, because there's just not enough blood flow to, to facial arteries. Um, the, the danger of suffocation from the pallet collapsing. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, but somehow I kept my pallet up. Uh, I knew this was the sickness case. So we got to Basra Palace uh, 25 minutes later, and that's where the um, the medics got hold of me, did their stuff. Uh, tracheotomy was put in, a bit of emergency cleanup surgery. I was then medivac to the to the airbase in Basra, um, and then medivacs within uh, so 11 a.m. local time. I was hit in Basra on a Wednesday morning, 6th of December, and I was back in I was back in the UK, uh, sort of the early hours of Friday morning local time, uh, and then taken to Birmingham Hospital where I spent I think the next uh, 16, 17 days in ICU uh, on in a drug induced coma. And that's when, uh, and then it was Christmas Eve, where I woke up, or I was I was brought out of the coma, as it were, um, to uh, yeah, to to find out what the, the actual prognosis was. And, and how did how did you feel at that that point? I felt cheated. Um, I'd done everything right. I'd worked so hard to stay alive in the battlefield, and and I, I thought that it was a shitty reward. If I'm honest, yeah. you know, sorry for the language, but that's how I felt. Um, I just felt cheated. I felt like it would bang out of order and, and I didn't want to carry on because um, yeah. all I could focus on was a negative. All I could see was everything I'd lost. Um, and and it's not a good place to be in. And uh, so I thought, well, what's the point? But um, as everyone knows in the military, we get perspective very quickly, don't we? Um, yeah. And within, within a couple of days of me sulking and planning how I was going to end it all, I found out that a couple of colleagues had been killed um, and it was kind of a, a big sort of switch uh, because all of a sudden I wasn't a victim. Uh, I was a survivor uh, and it was about what I'd kept, not what I'd lost. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm laid there in hospital bed feeling sorry for myself because, you know, things are going to be different. And, you know, there's two people that I knew quite well not coming home. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and not telling nine, there was 26. 27 didn't come on you know what I mean so uh far far from my far from my my um company alone yeah so you know that that's kind of that 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 point was it was a big catalyst you know to stop stop sulking about what I'd lost to start trying to focus on what I'd kept uh and then then sort of as as I move forward through my rehab there were little reminders here there with the loss of friends some through you know, service and some through suicide, um, and you know that they're all—all all of them—just just little wake-up calls or little nudges, and 
and things like that, just to just to keep you on the straight and narrow, keep your mind focused, and and, and you know try and remain that positive rebuild situation as opposed to to getting static and, and, and feeling sorry for yourself. And, and don't get me wrong, I have I have my bad days, but you know those bad days a few far between now nowadays but yeah you know they're still there and i don't think there's anybody who's, who's served you know who's got sandy feet that hasn't that doesn't have bad days um you know i remember i remember chatting to an old boy when i was at, uh down in, in brighton at blind veterans center and he'd done he'd done the beaches at normandy and stuff like that and he just went did you get your boots dirty and i knew exactly what he meant yeah, I said, well, I was shot by a sniper. He went, that's dirty enough for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is a guy that charged at the beaches at Normandy. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of, for me, was like, all right, fair enough. I've got his acceptance, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a different breed, aren't they? <laughs> so where where um, where did you go from, from Celio? Straight down to Headley Court, did you? I never went to Headley Court. Uh, at the time, there was no... There wasn't this uh, recovery pathway that we're all aware of now. Uh, there was, you know, I, I was basically sent home and I had to ring up on a Monday morning to tell them I wasn't dead or in prison. Oh. Um, uh, but that, that's, that was the old wireless, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. The back end, and that, that's how it was. Um, for me, that was probably a positive because of just the way I operate. Um, I, I was quite proactive anyway. Um, so I, I was able to sort of, for a, for a year or so, just sort of look at what I could do next. I took uh, advantage of me learning credits, um, tried to do a few courses. I kind of knew my career was over. Um, yeah. uh, you know, the, the best they could offer me was an office job, and I didn't join the military to work in an office. Um, I certainly knew there was never any promotion prospects. So, you know, and, and I thought, well, what's the point in grizzing it out to end my career as a corporal? Yeah. Uh, when, you know, if actually, if actually you know, if I take the medical discharge in the next couple of years, I'm not as ingrained in the military and I've got, I'm younger in a, in a better place to, to, to start a new career or whatever. I'd move that way. So, um, and uh, yeah, so I calculated the best pension I would get out of it. Um, and, uh, and then plan to leave around that date. Um, but yeah, so for the first years, like I said, bouncing about trying to figure stuff out. And I always say I was, I was like a fly at a window. You know, I had, I had energy, I had drive. Um, I knew where I wanted to go, but I didn't really know how to get there. Yeah. And then after a year, let's say I got involved with Blind Veterans UK, who at the time was St Dunstan's. And I think, in a way, the name almost put me off. Yeah. In the early days, because it's like, well, what, what are these going to do for me? And I went there with, without any expectations, if I'm honest. Um, and what they did, like I said, they, they kind of, <laughs> back to the fly, uh, metaphor they opened the window yeah um you know what i mean so what they did was they took that energy that drive and and, and they focused it um they pointed it in the right direction they gave me the right skills the right tools uh th through professional support but then also through um uh through peer support through meeting other veterans and stuff like that i kind of figured out a lot of the barriers that were there were my barriers i'd put them up because of my lack of knowledge uh you know a blind person can't do that. i mean i think whenever you suffer any adversity or life-changing illness injury um professionals and this is not in a malicious way that they do this but they they will give you a lot of what you can't do you'll hear you won't be able to a lot yeah and um you know and, and again it doesn't come from a bad place at all um it's coming from an expectation management place but uh, you know you start to see that you can either believe it or see it as a challenge and, and I kind of was on I was on the on the fence um until like I said until until all of a sudden I started speaking to people who who had done things and all of a sudden I was thinking well if they can do it you know I've got a shout um you know I'm not breaking down any fences here I'm just walking along someone else's path so how, how many I, years did that take you to get to that point? It was probably about 18 months. 18 months. Wow. Um, I would like to say things happen really quick for me. I mean, four of the things I was told early on, I was, I, um, 
I wouldn't be able to live independently. Within, so I got shot on the December 2006. In the September 2007, I moved into my own home. <coughs> um, I was I was told, I was told I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able, to, I probably wouldn't be able to have meaningful employment. Um, in 2012, I started work. I, well, before that, I was, I was volunteering and working with youth offending teams and things like that. But in 2012, I started working for blind veterans um, oh. as part of their marketing communications team. Um, I was told independent travel would 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 probably not be feasible. You know, I move around the country. I cut my my patches the UK, as it were. <laughs> so I, I travel around the country independently on my own. Um, and in 2017, I went down to New Zealand to watch the Lions on part of a Lions tour. So you know that that was thing. And then. Um, I was told, you know, what my, my passion was rugby, uh, and I was told that was gone. And in 2018, I started playing contact rugby again uh, for Leeds Rhinos Physical Disabled Team. And, you know, and that culminated with me walking out. At, well, you know, I've played at Headingley in a Leeds Rhinos shirt. You know, hallowed to scored two tries, uh, and then 2018, um, and sorry, 2019, I actually played in front of 30,000 people at, wow. at Anfield. Um, a, a team, you know what I mean? And a lot also, you know, all these things I got told you wouldn't be able to do. You know, I, I, I've taken them on as challenges and, and, and sort of proved them wrong. But again, these people didn't tell me in a malicious way. Uh, and so that, that, like I said, that, that's the kind of way I've looked at a lot of life is if you tell me I can't do something, yeah, you know, as kind as you are, I, I will look into that to see if that's actually true. Um, and that's the way I've done it. And so, like you say, so that's how it works from there, my rehab. So, you know, I've jumped forward a lot there, but, you know, there's so much before then. So, like you say, coming out of the coma, getting to grips, coming, leaving the hospital for the first time. I was back and forward to the hospital for the next 10 years, with 25 surgeries, about 140 hours under the knife, uh, to reconstruct my face, save the 20% vision I've got, Obviously, the, the left eye was being um, was removed and, and prosthetics put in. So, um, you know, there's been I've been trying to do a lot at the same time, and it, yeah. you kind of because it goes by so quickly, you kind of get to a point. I remember getting ten years on from being injured, you know, 2016, and thinking, you know, my thirties have disappeared. You know, where have my thirties gone? Mm. Um, and then obviously. I sat back and, and had a bit of reflection and thought and wrote down a list of stuff that I had done. I thought, well, actually, I haven't wasted my time. It's not, you know, I've managed to do all this stuff while going backwards and forwards and, and, and doing surgery, you know. Um, and then and you think, when did I actually take any time off? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, when I when I when I was seeing the, the mental health people, um, one of the things he told me was he says you, you need to he says you need to look at focus and not distraction. He says distractions are nice, but when they go away, you're still in the hole. He said, but if you've got focus, generally that comes with an achievement or a learning experience, and, and every achievement and learning experience is a new rung on your ladder to get out of that hole. Yeah, and, and that's the way kind of. You know, that's where I'm kind of now in, you know, I say, I say that, you know, 15 years on, I'm in a good place or as good a place as you can be, you know, in these times. So how, how would you um, sort of advise anybody else with a, let's say, with a newly diagnosed sight loss for day-to-day -day living? You know, do you use a cane? Do you have a, an assistance dog or anything like that? Um. I've got a cane. I tend to use it more to alert other people uh, in crowded places. Um, I can cope without one, especially in my local area. Um, so I uh, say so it's more of a symbol to others, or like say if it's in a, a very crowded place, it just gives me the space I need for my own mental health uh, and issues that I've got there. Um, I am eligible for a guide dog, uh, but to be honest, my lifestyle wouldn't suit one at the moment. 
I mean, my retirement plan is to be a Chelsea pensioner with a guide dog. Because <laughs> let's face it, I'm never going to buy my own beer again, am I? Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, but yeah, so it's, uh, again, I've got technology, so I'm using, you know, obviously this kind of stuff's brilliant, but it takes a while to get used to the sort of things and, you know, I've got to zoom in and move it about. I've got a few bits of technology that make life a little bit easier. Um, but a lot of, I'd say a lot of, a lot of it is just, it's just taking the time to adapt the world around you. Um, one of the things that blind veterans we like to say is uh, uh, we adapt to people. So you got the three pillars of, of, um, of rehabilitation, which is acceptance. You know, you've got to accept your new reality until you accept that new reality. You will never, ever be able to live with it yeah. um, because you'll always be in this, in this, limbo world of it might get better right um but once you once you accept it then then once you accept you you adapt and we use the word adapt to sort of adjust because it seems petty but if you adjust it means you change to suit the world around you mm. whereas you adapt you you change the world around you to suit you uh, so it just feels like you've got more control you know it, it's semantics of language but it's actually quite powerful yeah um and then and then there's achieve and that's you know so once you've adapted then the achievements come um and then you know and that's that's a, that's where you feel once you start achieving that's where you feel rehabilitation is is you know you're always rehabilitating but you're at you're at that end point um and that that's what i say you you need to accept the new reality yeah uh, and once you've accepted that new reality then you'll start to, you can start to make adaptations and um, you know your, your your mind subconscious will like will will then you know that that'll make the adaptations you need to make but having one eye spatial awareness disappears uh, <laughs> so you know you've got no depth perception um so you know but actually my depth perception isn't that bad i don't miss my pint that often if i'm honest <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know that that's come with time yeah and that's because my mind, you know, the, the way my brain um, uh, sort of processes the information that's coming in, it's able to make that that adjustment. So it's like, oh, you need to reach, you know, like like fishing, like spear fishing. You know that the fish isn't where you see it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what you know. You you make them up uh, the adaptions in your mind. So. Um, and that's what it's so that that's what I'd say. First thing is you need to accept it, and then, and then actually research what's going on in the world of, of VI. There is so many opportunities. There is so much going on. Um, take advantages of of the services and the organisations that are out there. Um, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, and and, and I used to believe it where, where they go. This this thing of oh, squaddies, you know, veterans don't ask for his pride. And I kind of don't like that. Yeah. I think I think some of it's arrogance, because if that's the case, then are you saying I've no pride? Because I've been to these agencies, I've asked people for help, and now I'm doing all right. Yeah. But are you saying I had no pride at that point? Are you, are you saying that I've no pride? Yeah, I'd never thought about it like that. To be honest, yeah, that's um, you know, and well, that's that's the thing, you know. I understand in a in a way why people say that but it, i find it now i find it a little bit offensive yeah because it's like well so i've no pride am i <laughs> um you know so i, th I think you know there's, there's, a, there's a point where pride becomes arrogance mm. um and that's you know when you're saying i'm not doing that i'm too proud well you're not proud you're arrogant because there's yeah. a lot of people out there with a lot of pride who have who have said can you help yeah i agree and, and and if you've got that much pride, then sort sort your it out yeah. <laughs> and and start giving back. Yeah. That that's how you show pride. You don't show pride by saying no. You show pride by saying yes and then giving back. That's well, that's my humble opinion. Yeah. No, that's that's yeah, that's amazing. I, I I'm gonna take that and I'm stealing that what you've said. <laughs> <laughs> it's not copyrighted, you're all right. <laughs> so I um what we're talking about. Blind veterans, and I, I saw that you're doing some extreme charity walk. Yeah, well, yeah, it's um, so it's a virtual John Groats to Lamb's End. 
Now, the most people would never be able to do Jonagot's London because of logistics and costs involved. Yeah. Um, so, so there's this virtual one where you could do it as part of a team, and we're doing it as a relay. So I'm not covering every every mile <laughs> myself. Um, four man team, and we've got to cover the 14, 1400 kilometers in a in 69 days. So we start on the 1st of March and we have to finish by VE day, which is the 8th of May. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and that's what it means is every single one of us has got to cover. So we've got to cover 20 kilometers a day between us. Wow. Every single day. Now you think that's not much, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, uh, but it's not recording placid walking around the house miles, unfortunately. <laughs> the system's only recording when you're not exercising. Um, so uh, well, what it means, you've got to get up and go do that. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing that you was right. Today I have to go do that. You know, um, I what what we what we're trying to do is, is really get ahead. Uh, there's a threat of snow, isn't there, at Easter? So obviously the last thing we want to be doing is, is trying to catch up towards the end. We'd rather be ahead. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and then if circumstances make us miss a few days, we're, we're not we're not in as much of a trouble. But because uh, one of the, one of the lads and me were out yesterday doing, we did a ten k, and uh, we, we thought, what, what wouldn't it be cool? We know fourteen hundred kilometers is the target, but wouldn't it be cool to do sixteen hundred kilometers? And then so we did a thousand miles. <laughs> you know, because it just sounds yeah. cool, doesn't it? Yeah, we did it a does. thousand miles between us, and um, so we looked at it that way, but. Yeah, so, so that's what we're trying to do. The thing is, I live in a town called Morley, which is uh, just south of Leeds. And it's an old Roman outpost. So it's actually built on seven hills. <laughs> <laughs> and I just happen to live in one of the dips. <laughs> so oh. Every time I set off, it's uphill. Um, At least it's downhill coming home. Well, that, that's the thing. But, it, you know, <laughs> it, it's like, how far uphill do I go before I start coming back? But no, um, so, yeah, so, I mean, we, we did... Where, where I live, it's kind of it's got the three postcodes of three cities. So we've got WF of Wakefield, the BD of Bradford, and the LS of Leeds. Yeah. Um, and so for my sort of on the first of March to kick off, I, I walked from every postcode change. Oh, great! To touch each boundary of the of the, of, of the borough of Morley, and um, so that was just short of fifteen kilometres. But uh, when I checked, it was something like one hundred and sixty metres elevation. <laughs> so you kind of yeah that, that's why we, that's why my calves are burning right now yeah. um but you know what i mean I'm, I'm like an idiot i'm carrying 15 kilos with me um once body yeah well you just think well the, the thing is i thought well you know add, add to the challenge and make it sort of meaningful um and the other thing is i've got um i've got a little urn with some of my dad's ashes in my dad you know was, was with big influence in my life yeah. Uh, and he's, he, he was born and bred in this town so it's kind of it's nice that he's along for the ride you know what I mean yeah um, absolutely and and I was out the other day actually I did a um, I did a 10k on on Wednesday and a, we'd done calendar covered it local news and there'd been someone on Facebook and uh, it was really nice because it was just like local people waving and egging oh, me lovely. on and, and, and you know saying go on side good job and this and it was a really nice, <laughs> I thought, well, while I'm out, I'll do a bit of shopping, pick up a few bits. And, uh, and I'm just walking out the supermarket and um, I'd actually paused the, um, the sort of exercise because, you know, it just didn't, didn't look right walking around the supermarket. <laughs> um, uh, and as, I, as I'm walking out, there's this old couple I walked around and old boy went, oh, is this part of your walk? Is it, are these part of your miles? I said, come on, every step counts, doesn't it, to him? He went, oh, that's good. I'll tell everybody I did a bit of it with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that oh, that's like, lovely. It is. And, and I, like you say, in these dark and horrible times, it seems nice that, that I'm a positive thing for the community. The community are kind of, you know, one of our boys is doing something and it puts a smile on their face and, you know, and it's one of those... Unknown, you know, I'm kind of doing it a bit for selfish reasons to get fit, to you know, to to have something to do. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously to raise a bit of money, great, you know, raise a bit of awareness, fantastic. But the, the unexpected consequence was a bit of a bit of sort of community morale. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which brilliant. is brilliant. 
Yeah, that, that's really, it's great to hear, you know, these, you hear loads of these stories, lovely little stories of communities pulling together in, in these times. And it's just really, really nice to hear. Um, so what are your, your future plans for the sort of next eight, 12 months? Well, I'm hoping, so I've just done, um, I'm also a qualified rugby league coach as well as playing for, for a disabled team. We're, we're hoping to get back to training and, and maybe get some sort of a season going. Awesome. And then potentially, um, potentially as an opportunity to play for, for England. Oh, wow. Uh, in the World Cup, there's potentially a PDRL World Cup physical disabled rugby league. So there's, there's an opportunity. Um, I, I think it's far-fetched for me. I'm, uh, depending on how the classifications fall, um, I'm, I'm older. That's it. I bring experience, knowledge. I'm not bringing a lot of pace. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, but like I say, if I get the fitness up, you know, I'm a big lad in the middle of the, in the middle of the field. Um, so, you know, if I can get there, even if I just make the training squad for me, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, obviously, when, when things relax, uh, there's a uh, Worcester Warriors have got a blind rugby team. I went down and did a trial with them and I'd like to do a bit more of that. Uh, their, their coach is an ex-squaddy ex as well. Um, so that, that'd be cool to get involved with that as well. Um, and then, yeah, just, just like I said, all, all charities are struggling, you know, yourself. Um, and so, you know, once things start getting, start getting back to a bit of normality, you know, never be the same again, will it? But uh, back to normality, you hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, and get out there. And I think there's going to be a lot of people in need and um, especially from our, our community. Uh, so the idea is, you know, to, to be out there and, and hopefully, you know, be useful for them. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, thank you for for doing that and saying that. It's uh, certainly somewhat close to my heart as well with the, the job that I do. Um, so I'm going to, these are probably your rivals now. Warrington, the Warrington Wolves rugby league team, they've got a disabled team, haven't they? They have, yes, yeah. Um, so the first ever game was Leeds Rhinos versus Warrington Wolves, um, uh, okay. and, and uh, yeah, they they did a documentary, did the Warrington Wolves PDR because they had Adam Hills, yeah, you know the comedian, yeah, that's that's the uh, I've heard about them, yeah, yes, yeah. So well, he 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 did the documentary, and in that documentary, he says, yeah, we played Leeds in first ever game, and we'd seen some videos, and we'd heard rumours, and they didn't have anything, and then they turned up, and uh, guess who won. <laughs> big, big daft side. Well, yeah, I, sc I scored a try. Did <laughs> so, you? Yeah, brilliant. It was it was a proper Mars bar try. Um, basically, we got we got close to their line, uh, and I was I I just got to acting half, um, and you know the kid played the ball. I picked it up, and I don't even think I got back to a vertical plane before I I dive forward and, and put it on the line. Oh. So. Um, I think, I think I think I covered the the immense distance of half a yard, but um, <laughs> but it's a try. It's in the, it's in the record books. Well, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, so yeah, we won that. And then, uh, like I say, uh, you're proud to say I set up the the we won twenty points to ten, um, uh, and they had two two ex. They had a, a Kiwi an ex Kiwi international and an ex England international in their side. Oh, wow. So you know when we turned up and, and did what we did. They just weren't expecting it. Um, so we were quite proud of that. And then, um, like I said, then I got to play at Headingley against Castleford Tigers. Um, the first PDRL game at Headingley, and I, I, I scored, I got a brace in that first two tries. Amazing. Now, what, what, the first try again was a, was just a, a big props. It was a proper props try. Uh, play the ball close to the line, come in, hit the ball at pace, straight through the defensive line, and fell over for a try. <laughs> My second one, I actually broke the line about 30 metres out and there was nobody more surprised than me to be on the other side of the defensive line. Um, and, then, and then sort of big loping camel. Suddenly 30 metres seemed like a long way. Um, but it's quite funny because I've got a mate, he says every time I tell the story it gets further and further. Um, you know, so, <laughs> but, uh, no. but again, it's it's these things that you know, you can you can look back on on things that happen in your life, and, and and you know you can look at the negatives. But had I and I discussed this with with my friend and and the guy's coach, and it had he's got muscular dystrophy, and like we said, if we had never been 
injured or never been diagnosed with these illnesses, these opportunities would never have happened. Yep. Um, so as bad and as horrible as it is, and, and, you know, as much as it sucks being you know, blind, you know, it has, it has opened doors that I would never expect it to open. Yeah, and that's the best uh, way to look at it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because, like I say, and, and again, on that reflection thing, some of the stuff I've done, you know, I'd never have done um, had, had this not happened. Um, granted, it needed my own personal fortitude, resilience to, to stand up and be noticed. But, you know, that, that came with support and, and help as well. So it's kind of that culmination as... You've got to find that balance, you know, back to pride thing. We've got to, you've got to find that balance of how much do you do yourself and how much support do you need. Yeah. So once you when you find that right balance, doors will open. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the, the incredible thing about about life at the moment with all these, you know, wonderful charities about that that open so many doors for us. Um right, we need to start wrapping up. I've got a, a few little questions for you um uh, obviously you've mentioned your father um but apart from from him who's your your biggest inspiration this is like asking me what's your favorite song um i've met so many people uh so many incredible people you know, over the time you know i was injured at a time when you know like said uh, uh derrick derrick would about you know you had andy reed you had um uh, uh, just, just all those people to be around them, you know, and then, and then the likes of, of Brim Parry and what he did. Yeah. Uh, I think you know, for the VI world, there's a guy called Ray Hazan who was blown up in Ireland, lost his sight, and and being able to chat to him and listen to what he'd done in his life was was massively inspiring. Yeah. Um, and and uh, my mum, you know. My mum was always secondary to my dad because he was always my sort of counsellor and sports too. But when my dad passed, um, you know, my mum, my mum came to the front, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think my family in general were very strong. Uh, when I got injured, you know, and, and I was supportive and, and, I, and I accepted and I tolerated a lot of crap, you know, when, when my head wasn't in the right place. Yeah. And I never gave up on me. So and I'd have to give my family the plaudits. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, that's it's. Uh, it makes life a lot easier when you've got a supportive family, doesn't it? Um, so, apart from everybody you've mentioned, then if you were to have a dinner party uh, tomorrow and you're allowed five people around, dead they or have alive, to be alive. No, no. One bloke would be Jay Garrett, uh, who was uh, a Remy Corporal. Um, that that lost the, the fight with uh, PTSD. Um, but he was my mentor, and I'd love to sit and have a chat with him and talk about, you know, the job I did and, and get his feedback and his acceptance, I think. Uh, it's one thing I never got. He, 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 like I said, uh, he passed before I got to see him. So I got injured on 6th December, and, and uh, it was 27th of December that year. So I never really got to to reflect on it with him. So he'd, he'd be there. Yeah. Um, who else? Um, probably, uh, probably my granddad Warburton. as my mum's dad. He did 35 years in the military and I'd like to, I'd like to chat to him, you know, and talk about that sort of side of it as well. Mm. Uh, it's quite, quite selfish at well, talking to people. I want, I, want to hear, I want to hear how they, how they feel <laughs> about me. Um, yeah, then uh, five people, like I say. It's, um, you'd obviously have to have someone there that's a decent cook, wouldn't you? Oh, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's strange, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you who I'd have there, Nikki Murdoch. Oh, wow. Because, you know, she she's quite... I, I did a lot of work with her through rehab. Yeah. Um, you know, when she was going through it herself so and we became good friends and, and she's you know you know she's 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 got this fun side to her is Nikki and this sort of thing you know you, you you see the colonel but there's also a bit of a cheeky girl in there as well um 
So, yeah, Nicky would be fun to have around. Um, two more. There'd have to be someone sports-related, wouldn't there? I mean, a good friend of mine and, and someone who inspired me was a guy called Barry McDermott, who was a great Britain prop. Um, he, he got to the top at top at game with one eye. So he'd be quite cool to, to yeah. sit there and, and, and have at the dinner as well. And he could tell some great stories. He was the first man in the UK to be pepper sprayed. Really? So, you know. Yeah, so that's <laughs> a kind of... <laughs> yeah, um, well, pepper sprayed by the police, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, so he's got some great stories to tell. Um, and who would fill the last seat then? Um, I'll tell you what, yeah, the guy that I, I, I got to speak to briefly... Um, but but not as long as I'd like. A guy called Henry Ellingham, who at one point was the oldest man in England, or oldest man in the world, sorry, 113 he was. Um, he was a Sopwith camel pilot in the uh, in the First World War. Wow. And uh, when I got to speak to him, he, he was strange because I remember going to speaking to him when he was 113, and his body was 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 pretty much giving up, but his, his yeah. mind was so sharp. Uh, wow. And he was, he was listening to the news and he knew what was going on and told him I was in Iraq. And, and he was upset for me. Oh. Uh, because he'd seen all this that had been going on in the world. You know, he didn't yeah. watch two world wars. <laughs> and the fact that there were still young people getting hurt and killed upset him. But then on the other side of that, he was so witty. You know, he said, uh, he said I've had 13 Christmas cards off the Queen. Every one of them is the same. And... <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? And, and one of the things he says is, well, I, you know, what, what's the secret to, to long life? And it was all w- w- women, wine and whiskey. <laughs> he says, but on a day-to-day basis, it's whatever's for tea. Um, you know, if I fancy it, I'll, I'll hang around. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, <laughs> and, and if I could, if I could meet and talk to him younger when he was more active, that, that, that'd be awesome, you know, to, to, to hear, to hear from a man who lived, through an entire century. Yeah. That would be just incredible, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It certainly would. Certainly would. I'd love to ask ask him this this question, the last question I'm going to ask you now. What's your proudest achievement? Oh. Uh, I, say, I could probably give you top five. Um, yeah, go for it. Well, obviously, one is, is, is getting into military and passing out parade. Uh, Two would be um, getting get back into work, to be honest, was huge. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting back into meaningful employment, that, that was a massive achievement for me. Uh, and then playing rugby again, you know, that scoring tries at Edinley. So yeah. it's, uh, you know. <laughs> Every schoolboy's dream, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. And, and in the colours, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, so... Yeah, they'd be your top three. I could make it yeah. your top three. But um, yeah, we getting into the military was huge. Yeah. Passing out. Uh, and then obviously, yeah, like you say, getting back into work, you know, because that, I found that that wasn't the culmination of rehabilitation, of, of it sort of recovery, but it was a huge, a huge stepping stone. It, it kind of negated a lot of the, a lot of the barriers and issues that, that were around that. Yeah. A lot to be said for for getting back into work, definitely, and, and credit to you. Um, right. So, if anybody wants to to donate any any money to your um, your charity walk, what's the best way of doing it? Uh, so, we're on just giving, um, and it, you can get you can get to the page to the Blind Veterans website. But if you Google on just giving limping rhinos, because we're all part of the disabled rhinos <laughs> team, um, so. If you Google, yeah, just giving limping rhinos, um, then that should bring our page up. Uh, you know, like I say, if you want to donate, that's great. We understand when he's tight. Uh, but even if you message of support, um, you know, this is the thing, you know, we, we, we just want to let people know that there's positive stuff going on out there. Yeah. Um, and, and and what I would say is that is that money goes towards providing equipment like this for a lot of our elderly veterans that are really isolated. Um, yeah. And this means that, you know, they can speak to their great grandchildren, their grandchildren uh, and feel, not feel as lonely. Yeah. Brilliant. And um, yeah, I'll, um, I'll share it across uh, 
all social medias that I'm on. Um, do you want to share your social media or anything for if people want to follow you? Yeah, so Twitter is um, uh, one-eyed size sixty-six. Yep. And um, yeah, just 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 Simon Brown on Facebook. But like you say, if you follow us through, if you go through the Blind Veterans page, obviously there's, there's the information on there and stuff. Um, and I'd always say have a look on there, look at some of the case studies, look at some of the stuff we're doing. Yeah. And the other thing is, anybody out there that needs help. Anybody who thinks um, they might need our support or they've got a family member might need our support, get in touch with us. Uh, you know, there's this free phone membership line. Um, and like, you know, just like DMWS, you know, if any, if there's a veteran out there struggling with anything, just contact one of us. Yeah. yeah because we, 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 we will, we're not selfish in our, in our sector. You know, we will put you in touch with the right people. Yes, and and if you've served your country, you've taken an oath of allegiance. Do not suffer in silence. There will be someone out there that can help. What a perfect way to end it, mate! And thank you so much. Good luck with the walk, uh, and hopefully on VE Day we can do a a twenty minute special to let us know how you've how you've got on with the walk. If, if that's all right with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking, we're looking to do sort of something special to cap it all off. But cool. yeah, um, I pro- <laughs> I'm probably covered in tubey grip and, and, and eating uh, roofing like smarties. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> no one over there is there. <laughs>